I'm Dr. Gene Hansen. For more than 25 years, I've been answering your financial questions on Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. This is Money Talks, providing honest, straightforward answers to your financial questions. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, October 21st, 2017. The only thing we have to fear the economic health of this nation has been the excessive decline in the dollar. Late rally on Wall Street. The economy. Growing the economy. Welcome. This is Money Talks. Good morning, good morning. You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most respected money show on radio. I'm your host today, Nick Antonucci, joined by Jacob Keane, uh, my fellow research analyst. So got two research guys on the show today. Dan Deluzio, CPA, from our perimeter office. And our research intern, Jonathan Secreta. Good to have you for the first time, Jonathan. Are you ready? I'm ready. Thank you. All right. And we'll hear from him a little bit later with a, a dog of the week. But, guys, thanks for being here this morning. Um, as you guys know, this first segment here, we typically wrap up what's going on in the markets this week. And so far, this is Thursday afternoon, it's been uh, an up week so far, up 0.31% on the S&P 500. So... Anything positive is good, right, especially in this market that continues to go higher, even though uh, you kind of wonder how much higher it can go without somewhat of a pullback. Not necessarily anything to a huge magnitude, but does look a little pricey at this point. Uh, leading the week higher, we've had healthcare up 1.29%, and the laggard has been consumer staples, kind of a defensive sector that's uh, leading the S&P 500 this week and one that's lagging the S&P 500 this week. Um, so pretty interesting to see there. The year as a whole, we're up 14.29% still with uh, IT, information technology, leading the way, up almost 30%. Gosh, that's insane. 30% this year. Yeah, good year. The two biggest laggers and the only two negative sectors, we have telecom down 12%. And the energy sector, no big surprise there, down about 10% as energy prices, despite the, you know, we had a spike up following the two hurricanes. but. Moving their way lower again. Pretty quiet, pretty quiet overall. And it's, it is interesting to see number two on uh, the year-to-day performance here. We got healthcare at 21 and a half, roughly. Yeah. Um, and that's where it looks like some of the profit uh, or, or some of the biggest moves uh, this past week were. So. Yeah, and and you know if you look at earnings season, we're kind of really next week we'll hit full stride in earnings season. We've got about a third of the S&P 500 reporting next week. Um, a third of the Dow. So far, we've had 75 of the S&P 500 stocks report. And, you know, hopefully we'll get some more earnings growth uh, into the double digits. But we're on the cusp of it. Earnings have grown 9.15% so far um, in the current season. That's third quarter. Sales are up 6.38%. And in terms of how they've compared to analyst expectations, both sales and earnings as a whole are beating. You have sales beating by about 1% against expectations and earnings beating by about 4% versus expectations. So our hope is that we continue to see these strong earnings growth numbers that make it a little more justifiable, the market, the, the multiple you're seeing in the market. I think the S&P is trading near a 30% premium right, right now to right. the historical average. So, you know, if we can get some earnings numbers that, you know, justify that multiple, 
it, I think it'll, it'll make us feel a lot more comfortable where we're at right now. We had the Dow hit, what, 23,000 this week? Yeah. Our first close above 23,000 ever. We're, we're, I think we've made 170-some new all-time closing highs since the bull market began. Uh, right. So it's been it's been a week of continued records, really. Yeah. It's been a pretty steady rally overall. That's what's kind of surprising. Not a lot of volatility whatsoever. Not at all. You're right. Not that VIX continues to be extremely yeah. low. We're probably, do you know where we are right now in the VIX? Uh, well, we got a little bit of action today. Um, it actually started in the overnight session. Um, I think we're at a, about 11 right wow. now. Um but yeah, no, it's it's been down there. But it, if you if you compare it to realized volatility, we're really in a in a time where we haven't seen a lot of those big one percent moves either way. I mean, no, it's, it's no, fairly right. justified. I think at one point I had looked at it a few weeks back. If you looked at realized volatility, the standard deviations that you're seeing are in like the mid single digits. So wow. if you're thinking of the VIX, even priced in the double digits at ten, it feels really low. Um, but compared to what's been realized, I mean, it's, it's not that unreasonable. Yeah, and that's, that's incredibly low for, for volatility in the equity markets. Oh, it certainly is. certainly is. And, you know, every now and then we'll get a spike. We'll see that VIX jump up, you know, 10 more or more percent in a single day, typically driven by headline events, whether it be geopolitical, you know, tensions with North Korea. They're running more uh, exercises right. or, you know, they're threatening to, to launch another missile or they're testing a missile, whatever it may be. Um, we do get that every now and then, but I'm interested to see if those start to have less and less of an effect on markets when they come out. Does does the market start to kind of grow immune to, to those headline-driven? Like, yeah. It seems like it seems like it has, and I and I, I I really think just overall from like an institutional investor perspective, we're we're mainly just waiting here. We're waiting for some more visibility in fiscal policy. Do we get tax reform? Do because we get we deregulation? Because we nothing. And that's a great point. You know, a lot of this run-up we've seen in equity markets has been based off, you know, financial deregulation expectations, um, changing the tax code. Right. And, and we've had nothing. Right, right. And, and, now and maybe even we're getting infrastructure, closer. even infrastructure, we, we, we haven't talked about in a good while. And on top of that, uh, you you could have a new Fed chair. In Absolutely. February, and there's supposed to be a decision on that in the next couple of weeks. And we I, were looking I think it's at more that. likely than not we'll have a new Fed chair. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say so, just because I think uh, I think whether whether or not we really nail down uh, where Trump stands on uh, kind of like Dove versus Hawk, right? Uh, that that perspective, I think he he is going to make a push for deregulation, especially if you look at his team. Between Cohn and Nuchin, yeah, um, I think they want some deregulation. Really, the easiest way to do that is so not going to be through Congress. It's going to be through the Federal Reserve. Agreed. And and just to give you guys an idea of the front runners right now, you've got Jerome Powell, John Taylor, Janet Yellen, and Kevin Warsher. Kind of the the top four names being thrown around uh, for Fed chair. Well. Um, as I mentioned, the market's been relatively uh, flat this week. We are up a little bit, but there's been uh, two events worth mentioning. If you talk outside of the U.S., we have um, Article 1, was it 155 being 155. invoked by Spain, which basically says, Catalonia, while you can operate on your own, if we enact this Article 155, not anymore. Right, right. In, in, you lose your your ability to operate independently as a nation, more or less. Yeah, and they gave, they gave them... Uh, some time to say 
look, are you guys really declaring independence? We'll give you some time to think this through. And they got nothing back. So basically, uh, the kind of like the overarching interpretation is this is kind of the, the nuclear option from Madrid, like right. a, a forceful type decision, um, which I think is why we saw some of the pressure overnight because the news broke probably about 2 a.m. this morning. That's we, we we've recovered some of uh, some sure. of that selling, um, but I think there's concerns over just potential cracks in the EU. You're seeing these small little things come through, and if if you compare the EU to the United States, of course, no country comes close to U.S. GDP. But if you put it all together, it's actually larger than U.S. GDP. So you're talking about a lot of sure, <laughs> economic and force, and you look at the ECB and and, and the the kind of uh, bandwidth that they have to accommodate more than they are right now in the event of some some sort of uh, dissolution of the EU. You know, we see these cracks forming. Absolutely. It's concerning. I mean, you, we still, I mean, what's the what's the outcome of the Brexit? We still don't know what type of effects that's going to be when it, that's going to have when it actually happens. If you look at the IMF came out and they boosted their GDP forecast for almost every advanced economy this week, with the exception of the UK and Spain. Wow. And to the place where you have the most wow. uncertainty. Right. Um, so I think that's that's pretty telling right there. That being said, on a related note, uh, China's economy grew by 6.8 percent in the third quarter. Great number there, better than expect than expected, and it somewhat you know alleviates the worry that there's a slowdown in China, especially because I think they forecasted 7 percent growth for next year. Right. So right. as as you guys remember in the in the past few years, the, the hard landing in China was a big concern. You know. Causing volatility uh, overseas, um, which trickled into U.S. markets, but it seems as though for now China's chugging along, whether you whether right. you believe the data or not. Well, I, I think that's an interesting topic because they've got their basically uh, national congress going on right now, right. Um, and it seems to me like they were trying to kind of uh, – Keep the volatility down and, and the real uh, restrictive reforms, almost like contractionary mon monetary policy, until this political event. This once in five years, uh, it's going to be interesting. Some of the headlines that we see coming out of this, as far as how Xi plans to push forward, because uh, you and I have talked about it before. There are concerns about some of the levels of leverage in, in oh, China. If concerns. you look in, in housing or state-owned enterprises. Um, I don't want to dig too deep into that, but it is certainly something to watch how they move forward from here, um, especially when you've got the Fed. The, I mean, we're, we're in a dollar funding world, um, and you've got the Fed tightening. So are they going to be able to kind of follow in the footsteps of the Fed and tighten when really they're in a position of sure. more of a debt burden than the U.S. has on, for yeah, the average person. And all these I would say. all these things going on outside the U.S. I think, if anything, it gives the Fed because they've cited international issues before an out as to maybe why they don't hike rates in December, which, you know, we'll talk about coming into the next segment when right. we uh, when we recap some economic releases. But uh, I think it's probably a good time for us to go ahead and take a break. Uh, you're listening to Money Talks. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Dog of the week. 
All right, Jonathan, it's your time to shine. You got you got to fill in for Troy and give us a great dog of the week to start off the second segment, as always. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Uh, once again, my name is Jonathan Secreta, and I'll, I have the dog of the week for you. So this dog of the week comes out of Switzerland. Researchers last year have detected three tons of silver and 43 kilograms of gold in effluent and sludge from wastewater treatment plants, amounting to around 3 million Swiss francs, which equates to about $3.1 million in uh, USD. The government study said the tiny particles were likely mostly from watchmaking, which is interesting, pharmaceuticals, and chemical industries, which use the metals in their products and processes. And currently, researchers are trying to figure out a way how to uh, cost-effectively extract this from waste. Interesting. Uh, so there's all that. There is, is. is that just free for the taking? Whoever wants to go down in the sewers? And yeah, just free for <laughs> the taking. Uh, uh, it's, it's not exactly uh, wristwatches, but if, if you really want to take the time to pick out the, uh, the uh, micro. How was this discovered, do you know? Um, I'm not exactly sure how the researchers discovered it. Um, I imagine it was they were, re- they were just checking generally what was in the waste, and they found, oh, there is a lot of gold and silver in this. Did you happen to do any uh, further research on the, uh, <laughs> the uh, level of Goldschlager consumption? Because they got the flakes in it, right? That's how it ended up. flakes in it, right? That's probably it. Um, Who knows? Don't go running down to the sewers here. Yeah, but gold <laughs> and silver prices are up. Wow. Oh, then maybe it's worth it. I don't yeah. know. Well, guys, you're listening to Money Talks. Um, feel free to send us in your questions throughout the week. We'd be happy to answer them on the phone. Uh, you can email them in or call us in. Uh, if you want to email us, it's drgene at hensler.com, or you can call our question hotline at 1-855-429-9166. So, guys, where we left off, we are talking about the economy, and I think it's important to kind of go through the economic releases that we've had this week. Um, Jacob, I guess is kind of more in our wheelhouse um, but the Consumer Price Index last Friday, didn't get to cover that on the previous show, um, saw CPI rise, but it's probably a short-term, short-term phenomenon because of the hurricanes. You saw gasoline prices shoot up, um, which drove the index higher. Not going right. to be sustainable. Right, yeah. It probably had something to do with the refining shutdown. Yeah, energy CPI day. rose 6.1%. The one thing that's the one thing that is interesting is we've seen a little bit of a pickup in food prices. That's true. We have. It was a rough period there for the past couple of years, and it looks looks like it might be turning the corner. Also, we had a pretty stellar retail sales report. I don't know if you saw that, Nick. It, it was the largest gain since uh, March 2015. Um, it was a little bit, a little bit deceiving because again you got a little boost from gas prices. Gas stations were up 5.8 percent. A little more hurricane-related stuff with building supply up sure. 2.1. And you'll see those prices move higher. I'm sure that'll be sustained for some time. But still a strong level because we're talking about 4.4 percent year over year. Uh, that compares to August is three and a half. Yeah, I mean, in talking about records, you look at University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment. Uh, spiked in uh, the, uh, our first October report, rising six points over September. Hit its highest level since January 2004. So there's two components of that reading. You have kind of how consumers are feeling about current economic conditions, as well as what is their outlook on the future. Both were up. You know, both look pretty strong. strong. Um, which, you know, the elevated stock market, housing prices uh, making their way back up. Both, you know, make people feel like they got a little more money in their pockets. Right. So. Um, Tuesday, we had industrial production, which was up 0.3% in September. 
um, bringing the monthly change back into positive territory. It's kind of in line with expectations. Um, again, as, as you can see, is going to be in probably every economic release. There's some sort of hurricane-related component right. to it that, that may be positive or negative. Um, but again, in the in the coming months, you'll see those kind of flush themselves out. Look at kind of a, a monthly average. Don't just you know put all your eggs in, into one one month's reading. Right. The, the one th- the, the one comment I do have on industrial production is it's not that the data hasn't been great. It's just that it hasn't really paced with some of the survey data that we've seen. Sure. It hasn't really caught up to it yet. So that's something to look uh, to moving forward. Um, where do we want to go from here? Uh, had- mortgage applications up. It's kind of a weekly. Don't don't focus too much on it. But we did have new resid- residential construction. Not a big shock here. We've kind of been seeing this for some time. Uh, continued to slow down in September. Housing starts fell 4.7%. Um, though they're still up 6.1% year over year. But the negative is, it's kind of forward-looking, is permits were also down. And I think last month we saw... Um, starts were down, but permits were up. So it gives you a little bit of hope that the next month's reading might be better or the coming months. But now we're seeing permits uh, permits decline as well. So um, continue to see short short supply of, of, of homes right yeah. now. You know, land's expensive, labor's expensive, input costs are expensive. So home builders just aren't really building those starter homes right now. It's, it's much more targeted toward the higher end. Uh, Wednesday, we got the Fed's beige book. Overall activity in September uh, – moderated. It looks like overall, though, everything, uh, all 12 districts reported somewhat of a decent economic growth. Right. Pretty broad. And then our last release for the week, uh, jobless claims continue to fall. So good news there. They're at their lowest level since the week ended March 31st, 1973. That was, yeah, that was just a shocking, unbelievable, (laughs) shocking data point there. It's the, the employment, the employment market still just Really strong. It, it is, really yeah. Strong. Now, I mean, hopefully, we can see look more at the wage level. Growth. Yeah, you look at the level, and it's like, well, the, we're at what, 4.2 right now? Somewhere in there, 4.2, yeah, 4.4. 4. 4, no so. signs of reversal. Yeah. Well, um, guys, there's one thing I want to talk about kind of related to the economy, and specifically, or potentially, the economy here in Atlanta before we move on to our tax situation for the week. But today was the day where bids are due for Amazon's HQ2, Headquarter 2. And one city that you see in in the top five across any survey you see is Atlanta. Right. So, you know, fingers crossed. I don't know how long it will take for us to get a decision on this, but fingers crossed that something like this comes to Atlanta. It would be great for the state, great for the city. Um, I know I, I'm hoping that it comes here. But some, some of the competitors, the top-ranked ones are Boston, Massachusetts, Austin, Texas. Um and I'm trying to think where else. Toronto was in there. Toronto. Was and in actually Washington, D.C. Do you yeah. know Jewel? Yeah, yeah, I did see What's that. his name? Bezos just bought a home there for yep. 20, 20 And there's million. people tying in, oh, Bezos has this here, that, there. But <laughs> when you're Jeff Bezos, as much money as he has, it doesn't you matter. probably have a tie-in just about anywhere, I would think. They're going to go for the best option. Well, you can almost make a, you, you can almost make a counter-argument, right? People are talking D.C. because he's got the uh, post there. And yeah. uh, Austin because the recent Whole Foods acquisition. Right. But it's like you... You've already got property in those areas. Why not diversify? Sure. I think me and you talking about it, we think Atlanta and Boston are probably the front runners. I think so, too. I mean, you have... You think cost of living and, and, and workforce is probably more attractive in Atlanta. I think so, too. you got, you know, tech feeding new Absolutely. graduates right into the company. Cost you already have a, a big a big technology hub here with, with FinTech. Yep. Um, so I... 
It's a growing city. I, employers, you know, t- employers today are very interested in for their employees in quality of life. Absolutely. We've got weather. We've got a lower-priced economy than in most cities. I think we've got a huge attraction right. for, for an entity. We like should that. have lower lower tax levels than most of those competing cities. Oh, yeah, 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 Austin. So. Except yeah. for Texas. I yeah. mean, we, we sure, certainly beat Massachusetts. Right. Uh, the thing that keeps coming up, though, is a lot of people are kind of like, oh, well, it's going to drive up the, the cost of living here and – yeah, I mean, certainly it's going to drive up the cost of living, the cost of housing, if they if they put it in the city. But I think the the greater impact will, will more than offset well, that. If they're talking fifty thousand high paying jobs, they're talking right. hundred thousand dollars salaries. Through. Yeah, that flows through, yeah. and if your if your cost of living is going up, ideally your wages are also going up. Absolutely, it should pull everybody along. Right. You know, the be right. rise to tide. Uh, Amazon though has mentioned, you know, they they won't make this decision until sometime next year. Okay. Okay. So, so there's some it's time. probably five to six months out. I'm suspecting. I mean, the spring maybe. But in the meantime, they they said what they want to do is they want to have an impact on the city they that they choose. So they want to be they want to be a a, a, a driving force for something. Okay? Right. So we've got a lot of things that can that can happen. It could be better public transportation here. Let's in hope so. It, yeah, that that is the yeah. one thing that when when you read about Atlanta and and where it doesn't. Yeah. You know, check all the boxes is is the public transportation. And obviously there's been a big focus on it even prior to Amazon showing any sort of interest. But, Dan, it's, you say that. I, I'd be curious to see what kind of signs you start to look for that yeah. might – that might suggest well, because you know everyone's going to be critical of oh right. Amazon they, they already have a presence in Atlanta but right. anytime they add more jobs it's going to be oh is this a is this a sign that right. this is the city and and they'll do that at, well, at any city well the sites that they've chosen in Atlanta most most of the sites have access to public transportation so they've hopefully they've tried to check that box as best they could yeah absolutely and well uh, where was it Stonecrest 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 that. that they'll segment off a part of the city and, and call, call it Amazon, Amazon Georgia yeah. I mean, uh, you see some of these PR stunts from different cities. I was in Birmingham earlier in the week, and you're in downtown Birmingham, and they have this giant, it's got to be 20-foot by 15-foot Amazon Prime package just sitting out in the middle of the road. Just something funny to see that, you know, you have all these different cities and states pumping money in to just get the attention. I know New York City last night was glowing. A lot of their skyscrapers, quote, Amazon Orange. Right, um, just yeah. as, as they're I even read, the day before. I even read uh, that Newark put in a bid uh, with uh, potential tax credits I, into the future valued at up to like $7, seven billion. billion. Yeah, dollars. I saw that. So it's, it, it's Well, they've got to do something in Newark. So. Oh, that's true. That's <laughs> true. 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 If, if, there's any, if there's anyone who well, needs wanna, it, maybe yeah. doesn't deserve it or qualify right. for it, they, they, I'm sure they could certainly use it along with – a number of other cities. But, uh, guys, I think this, this is probably another good spot for us to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about a, uh, a tax situation with Dan. Listen to Money Talks. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talks. I'm your host, Nick Antonucci, joined today by my fellow research analyst, Jacob Keene, Dan DeLuzio from our perimeter office, and Jonathan Secreta, also uh, our intern from the research department, guys. And um, we're going to cover some uh, listener questions here in a little bit. But first, as we do every week, we want to talk about a real-life uh, situation, whether that be tax pl- uh, tax planning, 
um, financial planning related, research related. In this case, um, it actually is tax related, and it's Chloe and James have been renting out James's old bachelor pad for the last nine years. Unfortunately, the house is in Naples, Florida, and suffered substantial damage from Hurricane Irma. The estimated damage to the home is more than $80,000. They've heard they can claim the loss on either the 2016 or 2017 tax return, but are unsure how to determine what would be best. So, Dan, this is right in your wheelhouse. So how do they do this, and what, w- what would be the best way to do it? Well, actually, they, the best way to do it, if you're talking about which year you want to claim it on, let's just go back and just give an overall view sure. of casualty losses. First of all, if you're really interested in the, in the fine, in the weeds of it, there's a publication, 547, that the IRS has, so that's very important. Okay. Uh, also, uh, casualty losses, uh, when there are not in the situation like what we just had between Irma and Harvey and... I think Maria was the other one. It was. Okay, there are certain limits that you can take on your tax return with a casualty loss. Okay, so that if they're not disaster declared casualty losses, uh, once you, let's say you have $100,000 of adjusted gross income, and let's say your casualty loss, after you subtract out what the insurance company paid you, you're still out $12,000. Okay. Well, what you've got to do in a normal situation is then take your adjusted gross was 100000 You take 10% of that. That's 10000 You lose that of the 12000 So, so your casualty loss, deductible casualty loss, is only 12000 Okay, and it's actually it's 12000 You actually lose $10,100. Okay. It's $100 plus 10% of your AGI. Okay. Now, in the situation that we've got now with the hurricane and the federal government, there there is a, a bill that was just signed by President Trump on the 29th of September, and it's the Disaster Tax Relief and Airport Runway Extension Act. Now, I don't know what the airport has to do with <laughs> it, but I'm sure it has something. It's all, you know, how they put one lump thing into it. Right. Yeah, we'll get it all in Lump there. it all in, exactly. Well, the D- Disaster Tax Relief Act, I was just at a, a webinar this morning with the IRS on disasters, and they said it's so new they don't even know what's all in it yet. But the gist of it's going to be is that what they've done in the past on these disaster reliefs or, or, or situations is they will waive the 10% uh, adjust, of your adjusted gross income. So in that scenario where the guy had $12,000 loss, he would get a $12,000 loss. Okay. 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 So that's a real big help in situations like this where people have lost pretty much everything in a lot of cases. Sure. I have one client who said that uh, they have a home in Marathon, Florida, and they told me that they've got about uh, it was three or four cinder blocks left. Wow. That's terrible. It's that sad to it. hear, but I, I feel like that's probably not uncommon. Yeah. It's a second home, so luckily they yeah. weren't there, but still, it's a, it's a loss. Uh, also, there's, uh, you know, the the counties or the areas that are affected is all of Georgia and all of Florida's counties are considered now under the under the uh, disaster relief. This is from the IRS now. Not Texas. Uh, to all of t- only 47 counties in Texas. Okay. Okay. So not all of Texas. And of course that was all Harvey related. The ones in uh, in Florida and Georgia Irma. are Irma related. And then you've got Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, which is Maria and Irma. So. Uh, so anyway, but the disaster relief for FEMA is not necessarily the same counties that are the, that the IRS does. So you got to go on the website to check. But again, for for the purposes of IRS, it's all of Georgia and all of Florida, and 47 counties in Texas. Uh, well, and also they're adding the California wildfires for lately. So we know what's Makes going sense. on out yep. there as well. Now, one of the other things to be aware of is 
usually in situations like this, you can they'll let you borrow or take money out of your 401k and out of your, and things like that. Tax like penalty free. Penalty free. That they'll waive that 10% penalty. Of course, you're still going to pay tax if you right. take it out. Uh, and don't return it in the 60 days, you know. So gonna, you have six, you have to return tax. it within 60 days. Yeah. You, okay. Well, you can, you know, you, you're going to pay tax on it. You can take a loan out, okay? And the loan you you could have to, you'll have to repay back over the life of right. it. Right. But if you take money out of your account, you can still waive the 10% penalty. If you don't return it, then you're going to get hit with the income tax on it. Okay. okay. So that's the relief you get. There's a form, 48, 4684 is what you file it on. Okay. Now, you have to prove that you're taking that out for these particular reasons, correct? Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. I was going to say, you're going to see a mass of people hmm. yeah. yanking money and out. Generally, the way you, just, you, well, you have a loss is you look at the fair market value of the property immediately before the disaster and the fair market value after the disaster, and the difference is your loss. And then from that, you take any insurance uh, reimbursements you get. And then, so, and then if, you would, if, you still have, if you're still out money, that particularly, that's generally your loss. Now, be sure. careful because if you've got a very low basis or a cost basis in your property, uh, you could potentially end up with a gain if your insurance proceeds are a lot higher. Right. So yeah. you've got to okay. be careful of those Another things, Another thing to too. consider. All right. So uh, general so – the, really, the, so the key is there's, there's something else coming out for all the residents of Georgia and Florida. So talk to your tax preparers or, or, be, or be aware because the government will be putting more information out on this. It was just passed. And like I said, I was at an IRS webinar this morning, and they said we haven't even digested it yet. Yeah, and, and so if you're listening, these are obviously complicated situations, and it's important that you talk to an expert. Um, and on that note, if you if you do want to talk to one of our experts, you can reach us at 770 770- Four two nine nine one six six, and we'll get you in touch with the person you need to be speaking to. Dan, is there anything else? Does that about wrap up that no, situation? Wrap up. I, I got I got something for you, Dan. Sure. I'm, I'm put on my equity research cap. So basically, with these uh, casualty losses that um, that real estate owners are taking, they're it's going to be on their 2017 filing that they're going to get that benefit, right? Technically, that's, it's the year when the loss arose, so it would be okay. 2017. Yeah, okay. But, right. but that you have an option. You have up until October of 2018, October 15th, you have six months after the due date of your return for the loss year. So the loss year is 17. It's due April. So you have until six months thereafter, so it's October of 18, to make a decision. Am I going to put it on my 17 return, or do I want to go back and put it on my 16? And there's reasons why you want to do that. What if you've got huge income in 17 and no income in 16? Yeah. Well, you'd want it on 16 right, right. or 17. And the same thing. What if you've got other scenarios where it, it's, it warrants it to be in one year versus the other? So you really need to, to analyze both years, and that's why they give you that six months after the filing date of the year of the loss. Right, right. So, so I'm thinking if you're thinking of, you know, uh, the average person, um, there could be some liquidity restraints as far as rebuilding the property. The cash flow is not going to come till next year. Absolutely. Right. So, we're seeing. Uh, we saw earlier, Nick, what was uh, retail sales and uh, building supplies up 2.1 percent. Yeah. So that's probably just the small percentage of the population that has that liquidity. Absolutely. To put in. So you can probably expect so, that you know a year from now, however long it takes, you know, right. sometime next year, that 
you may still see building supply sales increase. And a practical note, I'm sure the insurance companies are inundated with these claims. It's going to take them a while to go through all those and process them and get money to the people. Interesting. That's a good thought, Jacob. Thanks for that. Well, uh, guys, let's take a quick listener question before we have to take another break. Um, This is from Arnold from Duluth. IBM spiked quite a bit on Wednesday, I'm guessing because of a good earnings call. I've owned IBM for years. It's in my only set-and-forget stock. What's your outlook for IBM? Do I need to be buying more of it, trim my position, take profits, reinvest the dividends elsewhere? I'd say IBM is about 4% of my portfolio. Well, um, Arnold, lucky for you if you've had the mentality of set-and-forget, you haven't had the stomach what IBM's done the last couple of years because it surely hasn't been pretty. Right. So you, if you've just left it there, you haven't been watching the day-to-day declines. But you're right. IBM did have a nice pop the other day on, on a what analysts are considering an improving earnings report. It still wasn't great. IBM had their 22nd consecutive quarter declining revenues. They also had earnings come down. The bright spot is that they see growth in what, what they uh, call their strategic imperatives and hardware businesses. Think Watson and cloud computing, um, where you saw revenues grow 11%. Um, to now account for 45% of total revenue. Um, so, yeah, there is a little bit better picture, but, man, that 10% pop seems like a lot based on that for a company that still hasn't really shown that it's t- turned a quarter in terms of returning to growth. Right, right. I, I, yeah, I think I think some of that was just it, it, the sentiment was definitely very negative. So Absolutely. Any, any sign of hope. We're talking IBM. Uh, you're talking uh, – a company that's got generates a pretty nice shareholder yield when you factor in dividend yield and buybacks, um, but that comes at the expense of leverage. What we've seen, uh, especially when we talk about financial engineering, uh, we kind of joke that IBM is the poster child of raising debt just to buy back stock. Yeah. And, and if you're thinking about uh, growth, uh, we haven't seen it. So They're not investing the, back in the business. No, uh, we took a look at that, and I think I think the easiest comp for IBM, there's not a great one, but it's probably Oracle. And Oracle invests about 17% of revenues in research and development. You compare that to IBM, they're under 7%. So it, the core business is, is definitely in decline when you're talking about enterprise solutions. They're going to have to find a, a growth catalyst moving forward, and I think it's going to come from increasing R and D. Yeah, I think so as well. And and just to give you a, a short answer of you know you ask you know do you reinvest the dividend somewhere else? Do you do you hold it? Do you buy more? I definitely wouldn't recommend buying more at this point. Our recommendation would probably be to sell. We sold it well over a year ago, um, and don't regret doing so. It just really hasn't shown its ability to grow and 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 really create the returns that we're looking for. So, Arnold, thanks for that question. Guys, let's take one last break. You're listening to Money Talks. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talks. And we are returning with some more listener questions. As I said earlier... If you have some questions of your own you'd like to submit to us, we'd be happy to answer them on the air. You can call our questions hotline at 1-855-429-9166, or you can email them to us at drgene at hensler.com. So, guys, let's uh, finish out the show with some more listener questions. This first one we'll uh, pivot to here is Brian from Canton. I own some mid-cap banking and investment stocks, Voya Financial, Leg Mason, and One Main Holdings. I'd like to trim one of them. I think I have gains in all of them. 
All right. Jacob, if you want to take a stab yeah. at this one. Yeah, yeah, I'll hop on in here. Um, let's just go through one by one. Uh, with Voya, um, I think they've got uh, pretty solid market positions in retirement plans, fixed annuities, and investment management. Uh, the, the, the one uh, thing that I don't really like is they don't have much in group benefits or life insurance, and I think that's an attractive space right now. Um, they have kind of a runoff in their uh, variable annuity business that they've closed. Um, so there is some interest rate. Ri- if rates were to go up, they're going to continue losing there. Um, so th- there's some drag there. Um, they, they are less leveraged than peers. Um, but if you look at the makeup of their book, uh, they do have a little bit riskier book. Overall, uh, fairly healthy stock. I'd say this is a hold if, if I have to choose only one sure. to sell. Um, looking at so you le- like the insurance. If there was more insurance exposure, you'd be a little more favorable on it? Uh, yeah, more insurance, and especially group and life. I think uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tough environment with a new uh, fiduciary rule. We haven't had much uh, visibility in what's going to happen with that, but it's been right. harder to sell retail insurance without getting too deep into that. Um, with Leg Mason, uh, what you have there is a, a solid asset manager with a global distribution. Um, about 80% of their uh, strategy AUM beat the benchmarks. Um, they're a little bit more, or they're majority fixed income, so 55% right. fixed, in, fixed income. And we haven't seen, really seen much volatility in that environment. But normally active management shines, so if we do get some more monetary policy changes, they could uh, they could uh, benefit from that. Yeah, and, um, and being an asset manager and the fact that you said 8% of their funds beat their benchmark, I mean, that makes them a lot easier to sell, a lot easier to attract new assets under management, which should benefit them, obviously. Right, but, yeah, the steady growth, uh, the fairly attractive stock there. So that's a hold, and then we that gets us into one main, which is basically a – Basically, a, a, a low market consumer lender talking uh, uh, unsecured loans on the, uh, slightly above the payday. That's what <laughs> payday I was going to ask predatory loans. It, 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 if you look at kind of the, their their market profile, it's it's a boom bust credit type profile. So their quality of loans, I assume, is pretty low. The, well, to give you an idea, the yield in Q2 on their loan portfolio was 24%. Wow. And you're talking net charge-offs uh, at 7% in the most recent quarter. And what we're seeing with the U.S. consumer is it's broadly healthy, but some of the down market, some of the lower income uh, spaces, it's we've seen some pressure. And I think that is due to something that's been uh, – fairly obvious for some time now that we're seeing kind of the top 50% of the economy's wage growth. In the yeah, the bifurcation fi- that we've seen yeah, for some time yeah, now. pretty stagnant. Um, there's not a lot of leverage in this company to rising rates. They don't have a lot of investment carry. It's mainly a, a, a loan book. Overall, does not look attractive to me. Uh, not, <laughs> I don't see many catalysts for them, so sure. that would be my sell. All right. Thanks for your answers there. The next question we've got comes from Christopher from Woodstock. In my divorce settlement, states that I will pay my ex-wife approximately $83,000 in spousal support over the next five years. In the document, it states that support to wife is tax-free. It does not state that husband cannot write it off, because I would never have signed that, but it does say it is non-taxable to the wife. Does that imply that I'm agreeing to me not being able to use it as a deduction? 
Uh, actually, I think you're in good shape. <laughs> Let me just explain a couple things. If it's in the contract, it says spousal support. That's just another name for alimony. Sure. Spousal support is and uh, and now there's another one. Spousal maintenance are now all being used interchangeably. It's just become more gender neutral than alimony. It's had connotations of husband to the wife of, over the years. Now it's all can be either way. So, uh, but if, if it's in the divorce decree that it is spousal support, then it's saying it's alimony, and alimony is deductible to the person paying. It's uh, it's includable in income regardless of what the document says. Uh, to the person who receives it. So I think you're in good shape. Okay, well, good good news for Christopher. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be happy in light of yeah. the unfortunate situation. Next question, uh, Jennifer and Jeff from Kennesaw, and this is a stock that we've talked about plenty here, guys, so you'll enjoy it as we kind of talk through it. We've held Teva Pharmaceuticals for years as a strong generic play in a competitive drug market. We trimmed mid-2016 and again in the fourth quarter of 2016. We trimmed again mid-2017. What has fundamentally changed in this company that has made such a good stock go from nearly $70 to 15 If the current price isn't a buying opportunity, do you have a generic drug maker you prefer? Uh, just be thankful that you did trim it in all those places that you've said because it certainly has done nothing but go lower since you've begun trimming it. And, and Teva is a stock that you know we've spent some time looking at. As you mentioned, it's a generic pharmaceutical. Um, and the latest issue, um, on top of having several management changes – in the past year or two, is their their main drug, Copaxone, basically had a generic competitor come to market far sooner than they expected. Right. I think that was, what, in the last week or two? Right. Yeah. My, was it Mylan? Yeah, Mylan. Right. Yeah, there's, there's so many headwinds that this company has faced. Uh, basically, the, the, they bought the top in the market with that activist acquisition of their generics business. Right. They recently wrote that down, but... Basically, we've seen an environment on the generic side where you're, you're seeing double-digit price deflation. Yeah. All the consolidation in the insurance market, basically, they're they're, they're flexing pinched. they're flexing their muscles um, because it's it's been a rough space for the insurers too. Uh, on top of that, you had the CEO leave. Um, you've got you've got concerns about leverage due to that acquisition moving forward, um, and. And there's been a little bit there's been a little bit of a struggle in the way that FDA approvals have come through for them because they are, are, are a little dependent on that as far yeah. as the, the uh, NDAs go, which is basically a, an approval for a generic. Um, what we see, what we saw th th this past year is there was kind of a rush of the uh, the less complex, less sophisticated drugs, and they really they really spend a, a good bit on R and D in the generic space. So they were not getting the the same pace of approvals, approvals. as some and that's, of the. And that's so huge, especially when your biggest right. drug is coming off patent. Right. You know, you have to have a solid pipeline and approvals happening to make up for those lost sales that you're now going to have. I mean, we mentioned high leverage, generic competition, pricing pressures. Um, it's just it's, it's it's hard to. It's hard to see a catalyst. We we got the so new cheap. we got the new CEO and it's insanely cheap. If Talking you get price any to book, any sort of stabilization in that space, they should be the high margin player. They're they're the they are the largest player in that space. Uh, so if you get in, it's the purest play on on uh, prescription generics in sure. in the market. So if you get any stabilization there. 
it's it's going to work. It's just hard to we're not seeing anything to signal that anything like that's going to happen. And there's still a lot of concern on the street about a debt covenant that they have that basically they have to hit a uh, EBITDA target sure. relative to debt. That if they miss that, their cost of capital is going to increase even more. And and Jonathan, wasn't there a debt downgrade? Yeah, just like you said, there was concerns this latest uh, earnings call about missing the debt covenant, and that was before uh, Mylan released their generic version of Copaxon. And right. Copaxon just doesn't just only make up 20% of sales; it makes up 40% of the EBITDA for right. Teva. So it's rough if overall. it was unlikely they're going to meet the covenant now, uh, covenant then, it's Surely much now. less likely. And yeah, just and to real quick explain to the listener what a debt covenant is, basically when you issue debt, the, the debtors can say you have to hit a certain target or, or we basically refinance this. Sure. So it's not a pretty picture for Teva. The 7.5% yield that might look good right now, I don't, think that's, I don't think that's going to be around any longer. So don't let that sucker you into buying the stock. Um, but, you know, it, it – Hopefully, we'll see some sort of catalyst. One and, and to watch. One to yeah, watch for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. Keep it on your radar. Well, guys, at the end of the show here, let's talk. What's it going to be next week? Market up or down? Up. Definitely up. Jonathan? It's going to be down. Ooh, I'm going to go with the, the other two and say the market's going to be up. It's been a great show, guys. Thanks for listening. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.